Make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll begin there and we're going to spend a little bit of time just at the outset here reading from several portions of God's Word. I've had a burden for some time with American holidays and the damage that they do, uh, potential damage that they can do for the believer um, in the church today. And Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that has provided an opportunity for us to appease our conscience and to feel spiritual for a day because we have given thanks to the God of heaven. And generally, the world will accept that for a day and will embrace that. And though the turkey is trying to uh, nudge him out of his proper place, he still is thanked on Thanksgiving Day. And yet, Thanksgiving for the believer is not a holiday. It's not a holiday. Thanksgiving for you is to be a habit of life. And so this morning, I want to take just a little bit of time and the few moments that are left to encourage you, to remind you, to remind myself of our obligation to be grateful people, to be thankful people. And it is not an obligation that comes with burden or with duty, but it is the natural response of a heart that has been touched by God's grace. And so it is appropriate that the Word of God demands thanksgiving of us and assumes it of our lives in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Thanksgiving, a habit, not a holiday for the believer. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have one of the most common sections, beginning in verse 12 and carrying us through the end of the chapter. This really is something of a grocery list of the Christian life. There are a number of short phrases given to us, quick imperatives or commands for our benefit and for the life of the local church, which is the purpose of the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he is concluding his letter with these ethical demands for the believer, beginning in verse 12. And we're going to go ahead and read all the way through so that we find thanksgiving in its context. Beginning in verse 12 then, Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this, that is the combination of that threefold command, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies or prophetic utterances and test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now back in verse 16, Paul began a threefold command 
marked out by commas in our translation. Rejoice always, comma, connected thought, pray without ceasing, comma, and finally give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is commanded of us as God's people, and it is thanksgiving that is open-ended in its circumstance. In other words, Thanksgiving is not for a day of the year, nor is it for a situation of your life. Rather, you are to be giving thanks in all things, just as you are to be praying without ceasing. It is a continual habit of your life, and you are to be rejoicing always. And all of those commands, and particularly this morning we think of giving thanks in all circumstances, are given with this reason. Why is it that we are to be about these activities as believers? The end of verse 18 says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We talk often of the will of God. We spoke a little bit about it this morning, even in Sunday school, and it is often spoken of as something hidden from us, right? It is something to be found, to be sought out. We are looking for God's will. I just hope I can find God's will for my life. There is an aspect of God's will that is unrevealed. Your daily life is not mapped out for you on the pages of Scripture, but there is a revealed and definite will of God for your life, and we find part of that revealed will right here in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Want to know the will of God for your life? You want to find it? Well, you've just found part of it in 1 Thessalonians 5:18, And that is that your life be marked as a habit of thanksgiving. This is the will of God. This is accomplished as the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, as introductory material, be sure to understand that the thanksgiving we're speaking of this morning is thanksgiving that is in Christ. It's not just general thanks. It's not just appreciation to some deity who you may at some level believe has blessed you, but this is thanksgiving from the heart of the redeemed, the one who is amazed at the grace of God. And so in Christ, this is the expectation for us as believers and as a church that we would be giving thanks in all, in every circumstance. Now, not only is it commanded of us here, but it is expected of us back in Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me, and let's look at another passage that calls us to a life of thanksgiving. Ephesians chapter 5, several pages to your left in your Bible. Again, Paul is addressing the ethics of the Christian. He is dealing with the life. Not the theology, he has articulated the accurate theology in chapters 1 through 3, and in 4 through 6, he is dealing with the lifestyle that flows from the one who knows Christ. And we come to chapter 5, and he begins with, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He goes on to explain what those who are imitators of God will look like copycats of the God of the universe. And in verse 4, he deals with their tongue. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, or off-color joking for the sake of clarity. 
which are out of place. These are not fitting with those who are imitators of God. And here is the remedy. Here is the replacement for your crude talking, for your filthiness and foolishness. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So the replacement in our speech as those who are redeemed from our foolish jesting, from our crude joking and filthiness is nothing less than thanksgiving. Our mouths should be filled with gratitude for what God has done. If you turn the page and go a little further in chapter 5, you'll come to another familiar section that addresses us again in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine. Paul here dealing with the believer. You're not to be under the influence of a substance, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And so the controlling aspect of the believer is not to be a drink or a drug today in our culture, but it is to be the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who dwells within. And what does this Spirit-filled life look like? What is a spiritual life? You say, I just want to be spiritual. I want to grow spiritually. Well, let's look at what that looks like. There are three participles here that help us understand the lifestyle of one who is spirit-filled, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so an aspect of the one who is spirit-filled is that they are singing, both for the benefit of one another within the body and for the glory of the Lord. And verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. These are the inescapable descriptions of our gratitude, always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the final one is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the assumption of the life of the church and those who make up the church, which are those who are living in the Spirit, right? To come to Christ, to be a believer, a Christian, is to place your faith in Christ and to be filled with the Spirit who is here in His absence. And that Spirit-filled life will be represented with thanksgiving in all things and at all times. Now there's a fascinating parallel, and I'm just going to take you on a little journey. There's a fascinating parallel in Colossians chapter 3, just a couple pages over. Colossians chapter 3 near the end of the chapter, maybe the middle of the chapter, Paul here is addressing the Colossian church and he says this in verse 16, let the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know this passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you say, well, what does the word-filled, word-centered life look like? Well, Paul answers that question. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through Him. And then you'll notice in verse 18, he begins into the submitting to one another section of this letter. 
And so the parallel is for us as a church, for those who would claim to be believers, for those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are living with the word of Christ dwelling in them, this mark is to be a habit, not a holiday. It is a lifetime of thankfulness. It comes easy to us as we sit in front of the green bean casserole and the sweet potato casserole or sweet potato, whatever it is, the sweet potato stuff with marshmallows on it. It comes easy with the mashed potatoes. I have a profound sense of gratitude in that moment as I look at what is before me. And yet food is the common aspect for which we give thanks. It's the common benefit that we give thanks. And yet thanksgiving as an activity must be the habit of the life, not just for our food, not just for our provision, but for much weightier matters that are known to us in Christ. You say, if I'm to be thankful in all aspects of my life, and I am to be thankful at all times of my life, what are those realities that I must focus on to have a heart of gratitude? Because there are times in your life and in my life that it is difficult to be thankful. There are situations, there are circumstances that make it very difficult for us to have gratitude in our heart to God through Christ. So I want to draw your attention this morning to some of the weightiest and most foundational aspects of our Christian lives that should drive us to gratitude as a habit. And this will not be long, we'll just be brief this morning. I trust these will be a blessing to you. Holidays, like Thanksgiving have become opportunities for us to opt out of our responsibility as believers. The Old Testament, the New Testament are loaded with references to praise. We can go to the Old Testament and spend all morning in the Psalms, of which the men read three, and find countless calls to our praise and thanksgiving as God's people. But in the writings of Paul in the New Testament and in the letters of Paul, we have one specific phrase that is used six times that I want to look at this morning. And it's this common phrase. It's only Paul's. He's the only one that writes with this phrase. And it is always to call our attention back to the lifestyle of gratitude. Here's the phrase, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Six times Paul uses this in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians. And each time that he uses it, he is drawing our attention specifically to blessings that are ours in Christ. Now, because of time, we have 20 minutes or so of time. We're not going to deal with all six of those phrases But we are going to address two of them, and both are found in the letter to the Roman church. So make your way to the book of Romans, and we'll stay there for the remainder of our time this morning. Thanksgiving, a habit, not a holiday for the Christian. From Romans chapter 6, these two phrases out of the six will begin to give us a framework for the habit of praise that will only highlight the holiday in our lives. Right? The holiday is just a special opportunity to do what we should always be doing in giving praise and gratitude to our God. Thanks be to God in Romans chapter 6. Now to set the context, we're, we're parachuting into the middle of a book, and that's difficult to do, and Romans is 
a particularly difficult book to jump into the middle and understand Paul's argument. But Paul is dealing with, in simplicity, in Romans chapter 6, our death as Christians to sin and its reign and our life to Christ and to righteousness. Those are the two terms that he's using here in Romans chapter 6. And so in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, you'll find, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So thanks be to God, number one this morning, for present liberation from sin's reign. For present liberation from sin's dominion or reign. This is the first of these thanks be to God phrases, and it is probably the most potent of all of them. Because the word picture that Paul lays before us in verse 17 and 18 of Romans chapter 6 is one that we have a very difficult time associating with. We have a hard time realizing the weight of what he is using here in his words. Paul is eternally grateful for the transformation of the heart. And he says that in verse 17. But he uses an illustration, a word picture for us to comprehend the transformation that has happened in Christ. Notice then in verse 17, there are several aspects, and we'll just walk through these together, right in verse 17 and 18, that are particularly attached to the gratitude to God. Verse 17 and verse 18 are thanksgiving for passive passive experiences. Does that make sense? These are attributes that God has accomplished. These are actions that God has accomplished. That's why he's receiving thanks for them. So whatever your first impression might have been at the point of conversion, whatever your perception of what was happening when God saved you, here are the realities that he accomplished and that should drive us to thanksgiving continually as a habit of our lives. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. We were set free by God from our slavery to sin. This is fundamental. This is foundational. And yet this right in the heart of a very difficult section of the letter to the Romans where Paul will in chapter 7, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, he will reveal his struggle internally with sin, his burden that he live a righteous life in light of Christ and his work. Here Paul reminds himself and is grateful again because he was once a slave and the Roman church, they were all slaves of sin. And now they have been freed and become obedient from the heart. So first of all, God set free slaves of sin. Secondly, God made obedient the disobedient. We were by nature disobedient. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter 1, just for the sake of getting a feel for Paul's perspective on us as those who 
are under the just wrath of God. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so it is the nature of man to reject the reality of God that stares him in the face in creation. And the disobedience of our hearts is the very nature with which we're born. So what's the miracle of grace that should drive us to gratitude at all times and in all circumstances? It is that we were once slaves to sin. We were born as slaves and we were made free. We were born as disobedient and we were made obedient. God did a work in our hearts that we would be obedient to Him. As is found in verse 17 of chapter 6, obedient from the heart. In verse 17, not only are we freed from slavery to sin, made obedient from the heart, but we are also committed we are committed to a form or a standard of teaching. And this is somewhat complex for us to understand. In verse 17 he says, Thanks be to God that you who once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. And here is the obedience or the measure of obedience to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, God committed your life to a standard of teaching. It's not something we think of often. But at your conversion, at my conversion, at the time when God shed light in our hearts, He removed darkness, He gave us eyes to see, He gave us ears to hear, He freed us from slavery to sin, He brought obedience as a result of that freedom in our lives, and He committed us to the teaching, the standard of teaching of His Word. And this is vital because the Roman believers would have been both Jews and Gentiles. And as New Testament Christians, they were committed by God to the standard of teaching revealed in Christ Jesus. They were no longer under the law. That is the point of chapter 7. But they were committed as God's people to a new standard of teaching. To a lifestyle revealed in the Word of God. To a doctrine is the word. You were saved to free you from sin. You were saved that you might obey. And you were saved that you might obey particularly in the committing of your life to the standard of teaching. These were the actions of God on your behalf. He did these for you, sinner. He did these for me. And then verse 18 reiterates this and says, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So we have traded in our chains to sinful 
to sinful habits, to sin as a dominion. And we have been given a new set of glorious chains, that is, we have become slaves of righteousness, slaves of Christ. You'll remember our discussion about this on our very first Sunday here. Pastor John MacArthur was here with us and reminded us that we are free from the slavery to sin and we are now losses. We are servants. We are bond servants of Christ. And the personified Christ is seen here in the word righteousness. Sin is a dominion from which we have been freed. Righteousness is a dominion to which we have become slaves. So it is here. It's in our salvation and the freedom that's ours that we should find our hearts habitually turned to praise and thanksgiving to God. Right? This is the seat of thanksgiving. This is the heart of gratitude that we comprehend in just some small way in our humanness. We comprehend our sin, our propensity and slavery to sin, and then the result of freedom that Christ brought about when He opened our eyes to the truth when he opened our eyes to the magnificent substitutionary death of our Lord. Not only our freedom, but the desire and the ability to obey and to be committed to a new way of life, a new doctrine, a standard of teaching as revealed in the Word of God. God has done this work and it should result in habitual praise. Right? We should never get tired of thinking and praising God for these great realities. Now think with me just for a moment. Why is it that we don't praise God? We don't thank Him for the work of freedom from sin's reign in our lives. Why is it that many of us have not thought deeply, nor have we praised Him habitually for our freedom from sin and its dominion. That is, its control. We know Christ. We would profess faith in Christ and we understand the realities of Christ that while before Him we were chained to sin, we had no option. There was no other alternative. Sin was our lifestyle. It was the desire of our heart. Now we have been freed from it. We've been made slaves of righteousness. We've been made obedient Why is it that we are not consumed with gratitude? Well, here are three options for why it potentially could be that we are not thanking God for this reality. First of all, option number one, it's never been a reality in our lives. We see no fruit of this in our lives. We're not grateful for freedom from sin because we see no victory in Christ. We see no freedom from sin. In fact, If we're honest, we profess to have faith in Christ, we profess the right facts, and yet we have never been victorious over sin. We have never understood the freedom to righteousness. We have never become slaves of righteousness. It is a verbal affirmation of truth, but it has never transformed and gripped our hearts. Second possibility is that we think we accomplished Victory over sin with our own works. I think honestly, oftentimes when there is victory over sin, we are much quicker to give a quick pat on the back to our own 
resolute standing in holiness versus a recognition that we have been granted grace to live in obedience to a new standard of teaching. And so, in other words, we are not giving thanks, one, because we may have never experienced this freedom from sin's reign. Secondly, we may not give thanks because we take the glory for ourselves when there is freedom from sin and its reign and dominion, though it is God's work. Or thirdly, we as Christians desire this to be the reality of our lives, but it is so rarely seen in our practical day-to-day existence. I think this is probably one of my greatest burdens as a believer and then as a servant of the church is that God's people would see victory day-to-day in their lives over sin. We talk about it. We talk about it in theory. We even this morning nod and say, yes, we're free in Christ from the dominion of sin. Thanks be to God. And yet practically, yesterday, was this the life that you lived? Did you see this lived out? Was this appropriated? Was His victory accomplished? How about tomorrow at the office? How about Tuesday, Wednesday? How about interaction with our family members? How about dealing with the sins of our hearts and our minds? Gratitude may be slow to our lips because we are not seeing the practical application of grace and victory over sin. Paul is constantly giving us imperatives, commands, and then he is also backing them up with statements of truth. And he does that in Romans chapter 6. The indicative, the statement, the declaration of truth is that you have been freed from the reign of sin. You've been liberated right here, right now. Sin does not have control over you if you are in Christ. But then he says in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You had no bounds or no binding righteousness to you, but what fruit you were, you, were you getting at the time from things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. And then on the heels of this statement, we have verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The declaration is one of freedom. The fruit is one of eternal standing before God. And so while we are free and the declaration is obvious, there is an appropriation of our lives, the fruit that is born, that is to be the consuming passion and desire of our lives. How can we have Thanksgiving as a habit rather than a holiday? We can focus on the realities that are ours in our liberation from sin's reign today and tomorrow and through eternity. Secondly, the second thanks be to God phrase comes in chapter 7. At the very end of chapter 7, verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
That's it. That's all he says. And so we have to go back in our context to see that secondly, thanks is to be given to God not only for present liberation from sin's reign, but secondly, for future liberation from sin's influence. Future liberation from sin's influence. This is a section of Scripture that many of you have come to repeatedly Like myself, we have gone here for encouragement. This is the Apostle Paul laying his heart out on the line for us. Beginning in verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, that is, my external members of my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that is not a rhetorical question. Who will deliver me from the body of death. That is the principle of sin that remains in us. It's not hard for you to agree with me this morning that we're still sinning. We are seeing sin's presence in our lives. We are seeing the principle of sin in our outer man. Though our inner man is being renewed day by day, it has been transformed, it is being conformed to the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind we see still the principle of sin with which we were born. And so there is a war waging in each of us. You are aware of it. I am aware of it. Paul, the apostle, was aware of it. And so at the end of his declaration of his battle with sin, he cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That is, who will relieve me from the presence of the principle of sin in my being. When will I ever get relief from the battle with sin? Is there any hope of that? And his answer is verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God will deliver you from the body of death. Sin's influence will be removed. And it will be removed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is a day coming when your body of flesh will be no longer. There's a day coming when sin will no longer even be an option. And your slavery to righteousness will exist in purity and without temptation. There's a day coming when you'll no longer experience defeat to sin selling yourself back into slavery to sin, allowing the old master to to speak his commands 
and for you to obey His call. There's a day coming when you will no longer know the presence and the influence of sin. That day will only be accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord to the glory of the Father. And you know that day will be an eternity in the presence of the Lord. That day is only coming because of God's gracious work through Jesus Christ, our new Master. Why don't we thank God for His future liberation? Why is it that when we battle with sin, if we're battling with sin, why is it that we are not consumed with gratitude that this battle will only be temporary? There is a day when this will be over. That should be a a staple of our thanksgiving. There's a day coming when I will no longer battle. Thank you, Lord, for the prospect of a perfection in the future, of a removal of sin's influence. We might not be thankful as a habit because there isn't much of a fight at all with sin. We're not really battling with sin. We are not bloodied by our battle with sin and temptation. We are not armored with God's armor, Ephesians chapter 6, and doing battle for the purity of our hearts and for the sanctification of our lives, for the growth of our lives. And so we don't see a fight which leaves us with indifference in our heart and we have no gratitude for the future removal of sin's influence. Potentially, it's because we have an inappropriate view of our sanctification. Maybe we're waiting for that one wow moment, that one zap where our lives change. Sin is no longer really that big of a deal. Temptation is removed. I remember as a young person praying, not for purity, but just that I would no longer want to sin, that it would just be gone. And the frustration of that was that I would go on with my day and still there would be a desire to do what I should not do. We could have an inappropriate view of our sanctification, which is a process, a step-by-step growth that God works in His grace that is culminated in the day when we stand before the Lord. We have a new resurrected body. We are given eternal bodies And sin's presence is banished and its influence is done away with. Or thirdly, we have an improper view of the glory of heaven. Maybe we have no gratitude welling up in our hearts for this future prospect because we don't view heaven as the culmination of the work of God in His people for the glory of His name. Maybe we think about heaven as something other than the end to our battle with sin the beginning of a life of perfect praise and adoration of Christ. Maybe heaven has become a myth. It's become something less than concrete that we will, in fact, there will be a day when spiritual realities will be known. If our view of heaven has become cartoonish, if it's clouds that we're playing our harp on, if it's anything less than the day when God's 
work will be completed and the bride of his son, Jesus Christ, will be presented spotless, then our heart may lack gratitude as a habit of our lives. So thanks be to God. Because not only will he provide present liberation from the reign of sin, the dominion, the grip of sin, the chains of sin, but he provides future liberation, the future prospect of being liberated completely from sin's influence in your life. These are glorious realities. These are the benefits of what we just remembered in the sacrifice of our Lord. This was just what we were rejoicing in at the Lord's table. The cup, the bread. That sacrifice was made so that these truths may be reality in your life and in my life. Thanks be to God. Well, there are four other thanks be to God's in your New Testament. I thought I'd give them to you if you're taking notes this morning. You could spend a little bit of study maybe in a devotional hour someday this week and look at the others. 1 Corinthians 15:57 is thanks be to God for victory over death's power and sting. It's a passage we know well. Death's power and sting is removed. We spent part of this weekend rejoicing and remembering the life of Herschel Jackson, a faithful man who has stood the test of time with his Lord, who has learned and grown by the grace of God, and death's sting is removed for the one who is abiding in Christ. Thanks be to God. Death has no power. Death has no sting. It is simply an ushering into the eternity that has been longed for. 2 Corinthians 2.14 We are grateful, eternally grateful, that Christ leads us in triumphal procession. Just a powerful and grotesque word picture there of a Roman general leading his newly captured slaves, the generals and the leaders of the other army, and taking them before the rulers of the Roman city and portraying them, putting them on display as a procession of his might and his strength. And in their humiliation, the end of that procession would be death. They would be killed for the glory of the commanding officer who had won the battle. And Paul uses that term, he uses that picture, and he says, thanks be to God because Christ leads us before the Father. These are the trophies of my work. These are the slaves of righteousness that I have secured. And Paul gloried in his death to himself and his life to Christ. 2 Corinthians 8.16 Thanks be to God for the fellowship of other servants of Christ. Paul makes himself very clear. He's grateful for his friend and fellow servant Titus who shares a God-given burden for the church of God. And then 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift. 2 Corinthians 9 is all about the Christians giving their resources for the sake of the body. And it's as if Paul, in this moment of communicating their need to give for the body, provide money, resources for the sake of the body of Christ, he is overwhelmed with the thought that there is one gift that is far greater than any gift we could ever give, There is an inexpressible gift. 
Thanks be to God for that inexpressible gift in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.15 So thanksgiving. It's to be our habit, not just a holiday for the Christian. It's to be our consistent pattern of life. Thanksgiving only flows from one who is aware of actions by another on their behalf. Right? We only say thank you. We only say thank you because we recognize that somebody did something for us. They did something for our benefit. So we respond with gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for refilling my water. Thank you for whatever it is. Thank you for changing the oil on my car. Thank you for doing something for my benefit. And so I want to remind you again as we close out our time, and we're past time, that gratitude that is distinctly Christian is gratitude that is based on the reality of Christ doing for you what you could not do for yourself. You couldn't break the chains. You couldn't be obedient. You couldn't commit yourself to a teaching that was divine in its origin. You couldn't do it. And you could not in the future ever rid yourself of the influence of the principle of sin. And so this morning, Christian thanksgiving flows from those who have known the work of Christ, another, on behalf of them. He has done what they could not do. And so I ask you this morning in conclusion, have you any reason to live a life of thanksgiving? Is there reason? Is there cause within your heart and your existence today? Is there cause for thanksgiving? Have these actions been accomplished by Christ, by the Father, through Christ in your life? Your tongue will tell the story of the awareness of your undeserved blessings as a Christian. And then finally, there are those, no doubt this morning, who are with us who cannot express gratitude to God for His saving work, His freedom from the slavery of sin, His working obedience in their lives because they have never known it. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have never understood the glories of God's grace. Maybe you have never surrendered your life to the sacrificial death of Christ that we have just remembered as the body of Christ. If that's you this morning, you have cause for thanksgiving as well. You have cause for thanksgiving because God has been patient. You are breathing. Your heart is beating. And the gospel is offered to you freely. If you will turn from your sin and embrace Christ, placing your faith in His death as the substitutionary death for your sin, God will save you. You ought to be grateful for that, and you must repent and turn to Him. Respond this morning. Today, this time frame, is the day of salvation. Your days are numbered, and when those days come to an end, there will be no salvation offered. So whatever your case this morning, whether you be in Christ, you should be thankful. Whether you are not in Christ, you should be humbled but grateful for the opportunity to turn to Him in faith. He is faithful to save those who will call upon His name.
Well, I trust that's been encouraging to you. It's been encouraging to me throughout the week to be reminded of the weightier matters for which we should be grateful. The habit of praise, the habit of thanksgiving must be founded in the work of Christ on our behalf. Let's pray together.